Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Thank you for leading that worship worship team. Absolutely beautiful. Um, right, so we are studying Ephesians, you'll recall. And um, I've got the joy of speaking to you this morning on Ephesians 3, which is a prayer for the Ephesians. And if there's one confession we've got to make on these preachers is there's a lot in them. Yes, there's a lot in Ephesians 3. So I'm going to pick out some items and elements uh, from Ephesians 3 and hopefully communicate really what was on Paul's heart. Because this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And it was a letter written to the churches. It wasn't meant to be a theological treatise to be investigated and studied by theologians and scholars throughout the centuries, although it has been, and it stands up to scrutiny. But actually, it's a, it's a letter to us. It's a letter from Paul that shares his heart of the revelation that he's had. And it's a letter to the Ephesian church. Now, Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this. I might talk a bit about that. A bit about that later. But it's meant for the ordinary people. Okay, so let's try and unpack what Paul is trying to say here. But first of all, we're going to read it. You can see there's bold bits. I'd like you to join in on the bold bits, okay? (laughs) Because uh, there's quite a lot to read. So I'm going to read the main part, and then on the bold bits, I'd like, like you all to join in. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now... I'm stopping here because there's a parenthesis here. There's a brackets here from Paul. And the rest of this is almost like, by the way, I've just had a train of thought. And I just want to tell you something before I get back into the for this reason bit. Okay? So Paul does this when you read his letters all the time. He goes into a little uh, train of thought and then comes back to the main point. So the rest of this is a bit of a brackets. Um, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to God's holy apostles and prophets. This is all together now. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Right, there's another page. (laughs) This is why I'm reading most of it. I didn't want you to be exhausted before I started. Right, this is bold bit, so this is for all of us. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, because he's in prison, which are your glory. For this reason, 
I kneel before the Father. So he's back on to the main bit again now. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And altogether, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. Thank you, everyone. Well done. Give yourselves a clap. So I want to draw out four points out of this whole passage. And forgive me if you love Ephesians 3, and there are bits that I don't cover. Okay, I just want to cover what I think are the bits that Paul is really trying to communicate to the church. And handily, Paul summarizes in this little parenthesis what he's talked about in the last two chapters. So I don't have to summarize what the other preachers have done. I'm just going to tell you what Paul says in this bit. He's saying he was given an insight into a mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ. So what's he saying? If he was going to write it today, he'd say, the gospel for Jesus is for everyone, not just for the Jewish nation. The gospel is for everyone. This Messiah is not just for the Jews. The Gentiles are also part of this. And if you recall, in this day and age for the Jews, there were only two types of people in the world. There were the Jewish nation and everybody else. And the everybody else was the Gentiles. And they were the chosen people, the Jewish nation. And so whilst he says this is a mystery to us, it's not really a mystery at all. You know, Christianity is a global religion. It's not a mystery. But remember, in the context in which Paul was saying this, the Messiah had just come to the Jewish nation. So to them, this was, a, this was a mystery. How on earth could this be for the, for the world when actually he's our Messiah? He's our Jesus. He's our Savior. And Paul says, the mystery was given to me that actually the Gentiles, that's you and me, were heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ. Now, um, one stage, Anne-Marie and I went on holiday to Egypt, I really recommend it if you ever get the chance to go. Um, uh, probably wait till the troubles are over. Um, but it was pre, pre-troubles. And we went to a temple. And we read in the, uh, in the guide, in the, the, what was it, the Lonely Planet, I think, that there was a t- tour guide, the best, the best in Egypt, called Mr. Sunshine. And did you remember this, Amory? And so uh, we, we thought, right, we're going to try get Mr. Sunshine to talk us through this um, temple guide thing. So we phoned him up and he said, yes, of course, I can take you around the temple. Um, that's fine. And it'll cost you whatever it was, $20 or something. And we thought, fantastic. We've got the best tour guide in the whole of Egypt talking us through the, the temple and the surroundings. We thought, he's all ours. He's all ours. And so we got there. We gave him the money. We introduced ourselves. Really nice guy. Sort of had a little chat. And I thought, right, when are we going to go? When are we going to start? And we waited. And then another couple turned up and gave him the money. And then a family turned up, gave him the money. And then a tour guide, a tour group turned up and gave him their money. And by the end, there were about 25 people 
all on this tour that we thought we were on just by ourselves. So let that be a warning to you. Yeah? We, we thought it was all ours. We didn't think we were going to be sharing this. We thought we were going to get this great tour guide from the best tour from the best tour guide in Egypt. But it wasn't true. And this is how, it's not quite how the Jews felt. It's, it's just a poor illustration, really. But this is how the Jews felt. They thought the Messiah was theirs. The Jewish Christians, at this stage, it was theirs. And Paul says, no, I have been given the revelation, the mystery, that the gospel is for the Gentiles. This is so profound for the, for the Jews, but it's even more profound for us, isn't it? The gospel is for us. The gospel is for everyone, not just the Jewish nation. See, this is part of the reason that Paul is called, you, you might know, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He, he became the apostle to the Gentiles, unthinkable to the Jews who had all these laws and reli- in their religion, which was about keeping themselves separate from everybody else because they were set apart for God. And suddenly, it's blown apart by Jesus and revelation comes through Paul that actually, this is global. This is for everyone. In our language, for those who are close to God and very religious, you need the gospel. You need Jesus. For those who are far away and think they can never come close, you need Jesus. You need the gospel. Everyone comes through the same route, the same way. It's a great leveler. We all come through repentance to Jesus and say, Lord, be Lord of my life. That's where we stand. And I stand with the very religious, holy people. And I stand with the untouchables. And we all stand together and say, we need you, Jesus. Yeah? That is why we're all together in this. In Paul's language, he says, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members of one body and sharers in the same promise. It's for the religious, the non-religious, the educated. You might be in some of these boxes. The educated, the uneducated, the saints, the sinners. Basically, wherever you are this morning, the gospel is for you. However far away or however close you feel you are, the gospel is for you. Eugene Peterson, in the message, which he's translated the Bible in sort of everyday language, he says this. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those that have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling insiders and outsiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. That's his translation of the message of Paul. So I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know the background of where you've come, but one thing I can guarantee is this is for you. This is for you. The Bible says he preaches peace to those who are near, and he preaches peace to those who are far. Wherever you are in that spectrum, this is for you, says Paul. So the good news of Jesus is for everyone, not just religious people. Praise God. The second thing he says, despite our many differences and diversity, despite the fact that this is global and everybody is involved and everybody is included and everybody is called and everybody gets grace when they call on the Lord, despite all of that diversity... He says, 
notice I've underlined these bits now, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. We are members, us, together of one body. We are sharers together in the promise of Christ. So Paul says, not only are we called from all of these different tribes and tongues and nations and cultures and backgrounds, but we're actually being joined together. And this is great. I'm going to expand on this a bit later on. But we are sharers together in the promise of Christ. You know what they say? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your church family. We are in this together, guys. We're in this together. And God is joining us and building us together. And the wider church, he's joining us and building us together. So we should celebrate our differences. We should celebrate the diversity because it shows God's call to every part of our culture, every part of our nation. We are members together of one body. I know some of us are stranger than others. And some of, <laughs> and some of us are actually too normal. Um, but, God, but, but that's the diversity that God wants to demonstrate. Never feel alienated. Uh, I just thought I should say this. If you feel alienated, you come into church and you think, this really isn't for me. That is a lie. Okay, that's a lie. I know sometimes we demonstrate a certain culture. Please get past that. Because never be alienated from God's people. Because Paul says the whole of the globe, every tribe and tongue is being joined together by God into one body and one family. Never feel alienated. He says in Ephesians 2, doesn't he? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's members of God's household. You are part of this. I'll talk about that a bit later on. You're part of this. Where were you on Friday night at 11 p.m.? down the pub <laughs> in bed with the covers over you what happened friday night 11 p.m i can see people asking me we left the eu yes was it friday or saturday friday thank you thank you uh yeah we left the eu now whatever you think about this i've got great news for you the eu is not the most important community in your life Okay, even though we've left, the UK is not the most important community in your life. When you become a Christian, you are joined together into the family of God, into the body of Christ, into the community of his people. This is the most important community in our lives. Part of his body, the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So whatever happens with the EU, whatever happens with the UK and how we get on, God is building us into a community, a body of Christ, one. In him. What does it mean? It means you have a place in church. It means you are welcome, whoever you are. More than that, you are important. You're important to us. You're important to the church. Now you might say, that's fine for you, Phil, but I don't fit in. My face doesn't fit. My background is all wrong. My personality is wrong. My heart is broken. My heart is hard. My mental health is wrong. Phil, I don't fit in here. I've got the wrong cultural background. And I want to say, that is a lie. Do not believe it. Do not believe it. How do I know this? You know, God is calling each one of us into this body. How do I know this? Well, verse 10. Oh, I'm going to change my slide. Verse 10. His intent is that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. What does this mean, the manifold wisdom? Manifold, that that word in Greek literally means the many faceted, many colours, the multiple colours and facets of God's wisdom, of God's nature are demonstrated through the church. We are multicoloured, multiracial, multicultural, multi-personality, multi-aged, multi-everything because God is like that and we reflect him. You have a place in the church. You fit in because God has placed you here. Okay, so forgive us if sometimes you feel like you don't fit in and nobody talks to you or whatever it is. Forgive us, but don't give up on the church because this is where God has placed you. His intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the same word is used of Joseph's coat of many colours, you know, That new humanity, the multicultural humanity, is what God is placing and joining together. He takes diversity and he brings unity. We talk about the UK trying to build a multicultural society, but the church is the demonstration. The church is the demonstration of a multifaceted, multicultural, multicolored society. This is what God is really doing in the earth, is building us together as one body. You have a place, you're important. The facet you bring reflects God. So welcome. Welcome, each one of you. Now, um, Margaret's here and she's a great, great cook. I can't claim the same myself. But I know that when you do cooking, I know one thing, you follow, you follow the recipe, don't you? And you have all the ingredients. And the fact of the matter is, if you miss out on an ingredient, it goes wrong. You have to follow the ingredients to make it perfect. Every element, even a pinch of salt, is really important. And you might feel you're only a pinch of salt in all of this. You're just a little bit that goes into the church. You might feel inconsequential. But let me tell you, every single element is important. And there are no substitutions. Have you ever tried substituting sugar with, you know, that that sweetener stuff? You know, there are no substitutions in this. You try and substitute gluten for non-gluten and all these things. It never tastes the same. There is no substitute for you. There is no substitute for your ingredient that you bring to the church. And that's what Paul is saying through this. The manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated because of each of us being joined together by him. Now, we were um, one stage, Anne-Marie and I lived in a flat. And uh, I'm going to tell you the story of Veronica. Now, Veronica was a lovely old lady. And uh, she, uh, one day she fell, she fell outside her flat and sort of her mouth was all bleeding and everything. Bless her. And uh, so we picked her up and uh, we took her into a flat and we sat her down and I sat her down. And Anne-Marie said, I'll, I'll make you a nice, sweet cup of tea. And you drink a cup of tea and that will make you feel better. You know, with typical Brits. A cup of tea will solve everything. So Anne-Marie went into the kitchen. She'd never been in there before. Made this cup of tea and... Um, and then she brought it back to dear Veronica and she gave it to Veronica and she said, right, drink up. And she put it into her mouth and she pushed it up and Veronica had a big gulp and she said, oh, this tea is, and Amory said, yes, hot and sweet, drink more, drink more. And Veronica said, oh, this tea is, and she said, yes, sweet, drink more, it's good for you, it's good for you, drink more, you can see where this is going. <laughs> so after she virtually finished the whole thing, she managed to get her sentence out and she said, this tea is salty. <laughs> 
And, and Anne-Marie, unbeknown to my darling wife, she never does this thing normally, had put salt in instead of sugar accidentally because she'd never been into the kitchen before. Sorry, sweetheart. Um, the poor thing. I'm sure it did her bleeding lips quite good, actually, in the end. It might, but but it, it, it was funny, bless her. So um, anyway, she was fine afterwards. But all I want to say is there is no substitute you can't substitute one thing for, the another, for another and expect it to be the same. God has placed you here into the body of Christ and God has placed you into the global body of Christ because you are you and he's called you and he loves you. And that's what's important. We are being built together by a God of boundless grace. And you know, it says he displays his manifold wisdom. Well, it, just, it does. When you, when you look at everyone, you... You just think this displays what God is like. So, summarise the first half. I'm going to get there. The good news of God is for you, whatever your background, however far from God you feel, there are no outsiders or insiders, and the church demonstrates the new society, the multifaceted, multicoloured, multicultural, multipersonalityed God, God's people. Amen. Now for the second part of this chapter. So the second part is where Paul actually prays for the Ephesians. So he gets back on track, and I will do, I promise. So he's in prison. He's in Rome, actually. And he prays for the church. And he writes down the prayer that he prays for the church. Now, what would you pray if you were in prison? And this is the fledgling church that he's praying for. Did he pray for fruitfulness? Lord, I pray against persecution. I pray for growth. No, he prays for power and he prays for love. Three times power, three times love. He prays for power and love. It's interesting because love and power are sort of quite powerful things, aren't they? You know, you, most of the two-thirds or whatever of, of all films and plays and songs are all about either power or love. You know, and the love of power has been the most destructive force in the world, hasn't it? It's laid waste nations. The love of power, but the power of love has transformed lives. So love and power are such powerful combinations, and Paul prays for both of them for the church, power and love. And the first power he prays for is the power to let Christ dwell in your heart. He says, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Through faith, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So that Christ may dwell in your heart. I mean, pray power that we would have Christ in our hearts. And the word for dwell here that Paul uses is not the normal word that they would use, which is I, I live in this house, this is where I dwell. It's actually an intimate word which means to settle, to rest, and to abide forever. That's what the word means. And it's the same word that they use when it says, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus Christ. All the fullness, because he was God, dwelt. The same word. The fullness dwells, and that's the word that he's using. That Christ, the fullness of Christ would dwell in your heart and in my heart. And that's what Paul prays for the church. That we'd have power through the Spirit, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Now, we've been to puppy classes. 
And you've seen a picture of, some of you have seen a picture of our puppy because I used it a few sermons ago. You know, and we, we taught the right things to do with a puppy. You're taught the right things for, to, to, to teach it obedience. And our, our dog's actually lovely. She's, she's gorgeous. But, you know, we started off with our rules that she's not to get up on the sofa. She's not, she's not to go upstairs. She can only stay downstairs. She's not to go into the lounge, only the kitchen. Definitely not allowed on the bed. Uh, this was her yesterday. <laughs> Her favourite spot in the whole house is our bed. And whenever we can't find her, that's where she sits. That's where she is on our bed. And she's very relaxed there. She's not just living in our house. She's really dwelling in our house. (laughs) She's taken it over. It's hers now. It's not ours any longer. Yeah. And and that's the sort of thing that, that Paul's talking about, is that Christ wouldn't just be a part of your life. He would dwell. He would take over every part, the bedroom, the bed, the lounge, the kitchen, the sofa, every part of your heart, every part of my heart, Christ would dwell. And that's Paul's prayer. And actually, I'm going to pray it over, over us, for those of us that want it. If you want more of Christ in your heart, I want to pray this. And he, he prays for power because it's hard, because we need the Holy Spirit to let Christ dwell in our hearts. Because letting Christ dwell in our hearts actually is, you know, we have the attitudes of Christ. We make it a, a place where he wants to be. You know, the fruits of the Spirit are evident of love. My heart is a heart of love, of joy, of peace. My heart is a heart of patience. My heart is a heart of kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the place where Jesus dwells. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And that's tough, and it's hard, and that's why Paul prays be filled with the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your heart. You would have power to live out the life that you're called to. You know, the night I became a Christian down in the chapel when I was 16. Oh no, it wasn't down in the chapel. It was in Ralph and Michelle's house, those of you that know them. And um, I was 16 years old and the Holy Spirit touched me and I knew that my heart was not a nice place. And my very, uh, and I started thinking all these terrible thoughts. And I thought, where are they coming from? I just, this is terrible. And my first prayer ever was, God, please take away these thoughts, stop these thoughts and change my heart. And then I became a Christian. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit came. And since that day, Jesus has been dwelling in my heart to a greater or lesser degree, we're all working towards it, but but he indwells me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's still a struggle today to be that sort of person where Christ indwells your heart. But it's a struggle that's worth struggling for. It's a struggle that's worth saying, Holy Spirit, come and help me be that sort of person. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith and gentleness, self-control. Lord, let me be that person where Christ is dwelling in my heart. And that's why Paul prays. So if you want more of Christ in your heart, I'm actually going to pray the prayer of Paul over us. Yeah? Because he prayed it, and I think we should pray it. So if you you can put your hand on your heart if you want to. You can just sit there with your arms open, or you can just close your eyes, whatever you want to do. But if you want more of him in your heart, let's just ask him, shall we? Let's just ask him. 
So I pray, Father, that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen us with power. Lord, I pray you will strengthen me with power through your spirit in my inner being so that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith. Strengthen me, Lord, with power through your Holy Spirit now so that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith. And Jesus, I invite you now into my heart. Come and make it your home, Lord. Come and dwell in my heart. That my heart and my life would be a place that you are comfortable to dwell in. And I would express the fruit of the Spirit in my life. In Jesus' name, do your holy work, Lord. Do your holy work in my heart. Amen. And the last bit uh, I just want to say before we go into communion is he prays for one more power for the people of God. And he prays that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. So he prays, Lord, have power, people, have power for God to dwell, for Jesus to dwell in your heart. And secondly, power to grasp how much the church is loved by God. To grasp how much you are loved by God. You know, the most transformational power in the universe is the love of God. We need to know how much we are loved. And we need to grasp how much we are loved, as Paul says, that we would grasp how much we are loved, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. You see, the more we know we're loved, the greater our witness, the greater our service, the greater our love, the greater our sacrifice, the greater our community, the greater our communion, the greater our worship. The more we know we're loved, the more we serve, the more we give, the more we, we demonstrate Christ to the world. It's transformational. And I want to say this to you, individually and corporately, you are loved. And I felt it during the worship again. I really did feel God's affirmation and love for, for you guys, for us as a congregation. You are loved overwhelmingly, unfathomably, unconditionally by the Almighty. We will spend all eternity with him and we will never, ever get to the end of his love for us. You are loved unconditionally, unfathomably. For all eternity, you are loved. It's so wide, says Paul, that it encompasses the world. It's so deep, it reaches us in the very depths of despair. God's love reaches us. It's so high, you can never get over it. You can never exhaust it. And it's so long, it will never run out. For all eternity, you will know God's love expressed towards you. You are loved unconditionally. You, yes, you are loved unconditionally by God. He loves you. He has sent his son for you to become flesh for you. He sent his son for you to die for you. He sent people into your life to demonstrate his love for you. He does it for you because he loves you. He will never let go of you. He's pursuing you. He's for you. 
He wants you. He loves you. He will never give up on you. He will never give up on you. He will never give up on you. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And that is for you as an individual and as a congregation. He will never leave you, says God. I will never forsake you. I am for you and I love you. This is his heart for you. And we need to grasp it. And guess what? No matter how much I talk and bash the, the lectern, it's, it's hard to grasp it. We can't grasp it unless by the power of the Spirit he punches it into our heart. And that's why Paul prays that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of God. One other thing before I finish, which I love because it brings us full circle, is he prays that we would have power Together with all the saints. There's that word again, isn't there? There's that together word again. You know, it's together with all the saints. And guess what? We can only really grasp more of God's love when we are together with all the saints. When we worship together. When we sit under the word together. When we serve together. When we meet together. When we study together. Together, 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 we get to see God's love for us. It's how God has created his kingdom. So he prays that we would have power, not just as individuals, but together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, together. His love. Don't give up meeting together, says Paul, because that's how you see God's love through his people. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. His love. I could go on. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Because there I command a blessing. His love when we're together. So it's a really important part that you can't get away from. Sorry I tried. But, um, you know, that, that this is about being together. He's bringing us together. As that multifaceted, multivariety, multicultural people being built together as one body. So let's just summarise and then we're gonna, I'm going to get you to speak out one last bit of scripture. Yeah. Paul says the gospel is for everyone. Nobody is exempt from this gospel any longer. It's for everyone. And through the diverse, manifold, manif- multifaceted church, God is revealed. And then he prays for power that Christ would dwell in our hearts so we would express Christ. And then as we're together and we express Christ, we see Christ. And then when we're together with all the saints, we see how much we are loved. And we can grasp a little bit about how much we are loved by God. And that is the transformational peace. Amen. Amen. We're going to read this out. Sorry? Go a bit slower. No... (laughs) We're going to read out, because the last bit I didn't read out of Ephesians 3. And I thought it was good for us just to finish, and then we'll go into communion. Because we need him, don't we? We need him. Lord, we need you. So we're going to give it back to him. So let's read this together. It's the doxology at the end of Ephesians 3. Okay, I'll read it slowly. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work 
within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.